The Weight of the World, a good omens podfic, written by Entangled Now, with cover art from War Goddess 9, and read by Char. Chapter 3 Until the Break of Day They make their way down through the ash-buried fields, towards the voices and the faint glow of torches, and eventually bodies start to take shape through the smoke, words becoming clearer. Crowley surprised to realize that there are far more people than he'd originally thought. A hundred or more grey figures in small groups and pairs. They stretch all the way along the dock and up the beachfront, which is no longer sand, but a slush of wet ash, rocks and debris. It doesn't stop there, but continues out into the threshing water, leaving it thick with dirty black and grey foam and chunks of pumice. The crashing waves are moving great piles of it every time they hit the shore. Crowley doesn't know how far out the ash is falling, but there seems to be no end to it. The weather patterns could take it hundreds of miles or more yet. Aziraphil is still holding his hand. He'd made no move to let go when they came in sight of people. Crowley is half afraid to give any sign that he's noticed, lest it encourage him to slip his hand free. It's something of a comfort, a grasp on the angel to reassure him that Crowley didn't leave him in the city. As undemonic of a choice as that may have been, he'd never have done any different. There seem to be at least three arguments going on as they approach, the loudest occurring forty or so feet in front of them. One of the men turns, gesturing frantically at them. See, there's still hope after all. There are still people coming out of the city. The words feel like an accusation, as if he hopes it will win him an argument, or quiet someone's insistence that Pompeii is doomed. There won't be any more, Crowley creates out, heading for the tightest gathering of men, most of them in just their tunics, a few with the remains of what were once white togas. They don't look happy at his words, but false hope is only going to get more people killed. Even if anyone is still alive in the city, none of these people would survive going back to save them. The city's lost. The air's too hot to breathe now. We barely survived getting out. What are you all still doing here? Waiting to die if they have their way, a man in a torn red toga says miserably. He's hunched over the end of the broken dock, the wet wood heavy under the weight of ash and slurry. The boats abandoned us here. They'll come back, a woman insists, only to be loudly jeered by at least a dozen of the milling crowd. A heavyset man wearing expensive jewelry is shaking his head. No one will come back into this. That seems to be the catalyst for far too many people to start speaking at once. 
They can't come back. Have you not seen the water? There's no way to get through. How could they leave us here? I told him he would be safe. She refused to leave, said she'd wait for her father. Has anyone seen my husband? Please, he was with me. They said Pliny was sending his fleet. No one is coming. We should just start walking. The ash is too thick. The mountain is going to kill us all. We should have gone with the rest. We should have left with them. We were stupid to think. There are no gods. There's no Rome. It's nothing but this now. This fire and darkness. Aziraphale slips away from Crawley, the warm press of his hand gone for the damp, salty air of the beach. The angel moves among the coughing, crying crowd of people, trying to do good, trying to help where he can, trying to offer comfort and perhaps some hope. Crowley almost stops him, almost tucks him back with a protest that he has no power, that these people are a threat to him now. But Zerofield stops beside a large man sitting on an upturned wine cask, a small suit-stained boy on his left knee. The boy is petting a baby goat that's tucked protectively between the man's sandals, and Zerofield seems intent on the both of them. He smiles for the first time since Crowley found him unconscious on a stone, thought him dead and felt it in a way he never wanted to feel again. The angel's expression looks relieved as he exchanges words with them. A friend, maybe? Crowley tries not to let the thought sting. Where are all the boats? he demands, loud enough to snap the rush of voices into silence. All gone! The heavy-set man says in anger, All taken down the coast, out into the mess out there. People were paying ten times the price for them. People who couldn't pay were left on the shore. Rowley scouts at the bitterly spat words. Of course they were. Nothing like a disaster to bring out both the best and the worst in people. This is no sea for trying your luck, a second man adds, gesturing to the waves that can be seen crashing together before the smoke disappears to see from view. Crowley can see the filth spattered on the survivors, on their expensive sandals and togas, and their sun-darkened, suit-stained feet and calves. It's rough enough to tax a skilled horseman, and you can't see a cubit in front of your face. I saw one of them capsize earlier. I don't know if anyone managed to swim to safety. They had the right of it, an ash-smeared man says fiercely from his position at the head of the splinter dock. The city is doomed, and so are we if we stay here. Milling like cattle hoping for rescue is just going to get us all killed. What are you planning to do, Octavius? Swim back to Rome? Judging by the looks Octavius is receiving, 
He'd not endeared himself to the locals before Crowley and Aziraphale joined them. Crowley leaves the humans to their petty bickering, heads down the beach to find the angel. He's on his knees beside a seated woman, bandaging a nasty burn on her leg with a strip of her stola. She has her teeth gritted, making wet, beaten noises through them. It will need more than a bandage soon if it's not going to faster. The angel is doing the best with what he has, of course he is, though Crowley has never seen him so disheveled in his ruined dirty grey clothing, skin smeared dark, eyes damp and raw from the smoke. He looks human and defenseless, and Crowley hates it. This far from the mountain, Crowley thinks he could take him away from here. He has power enough for that. He could take them both down the coast, somewhere safe. Somewhere they wouldn't be in danger of choking or burning. Somewhere out of the mountain's reach. The angel looks up, his very face searching for Crowley's. It's often with something like relief when he finds it, though Crowley doesn't know how his scowl and scorched hair could comfort anyone right now. Aziraphale offers him a tired but hopeful smile. Bless it all. So, if we had a boat, Crowley demands, he's pretty sure he could miracle a boat, one to carry a hundred people might be pushing it, but it's not like he hasn't ridden the edge of his own raw occult nerves before. Both by choice and not. Aziraphale has been doing it all day. There's a shake of head from several of the men. It's not just water out there any longer. The ash clamps on the oars and makes them too heavy to row. A few people nod agreement, some offering curses to the sailors who abandoned them here. But that's not your only problem. The sea is too rough out there for an inexperienced crew. The waves will throw half of it in the boat with you. You'll sink or capsize before you make it anywhere. They were supposed to send ships, another man adds angrily. But they couldn't get close to the shore. Felix says they're docked down the coast until morning now. I don't know where he heard that, whether I should curse him for a liar or them for bastards. Crowley looks behind them, where the mountain is now streaked with fire, the sky black above with pumice and rock. He suspects that its full fury has yet to come, and that it will bury Pompeii and half the coast as well. They are very quickly running out of time. There'll be no morning for any of us if we don't leave here now, Aziraphale says beside him, as if he's having the same thought. He doesn't raise his voice, but he doesn't have to. Crowley supposes when an angel tells you you're going to die, 
you find yourself not questioning it. And go where? One of the seated citizens demands. Naples, Crowley offers. At least for a start, depending on how long this is going to go on and how far it will spread. A cry of protest runs through the crowd, which is gathering closer together at the promise of action, of purpose. You want us to track along the cliffs in this darkness, with night coming in and the air a choking fog? That's utter madness. The mountain's wrath is going to flow downhill. If you want to be in its path, be my guest. The angel isn't the only one who can make himself hurt. But Crowley can do one better. He can promise death if they disagree. He can slither around their frantically beating hearts and show them a world buried in ash. There is silence. And then people slowly gather their things to follow him. Crowley takes the front to start, and those who might have protested think better of it. He'd given the torch he'd been handed a much wider area of illumination than it should have had. Though the usefulness of that is debatable when the air is so thick. Frustratingly, the angel keeps weaving back into the throng of humans, helping children to pass over large rocks, giving an arm to an older citizen having trouble with the loose ground, encouraging two men to help the woman with a burnt leg. At one point, Crowley looks back and the angel is carrying a small girl who appears to have fallen asleep against his shoulder. Another child is gripping tightly to his hand, walking slowly beside him. Crowley bites down on a hiss and tends his torch to the large oarsman, who he makes certain nosed away. Then he slips back through the crowd to match the angel's pace. He scouts down at the sleepy-eyed child holding Aziraphale's hand, barely able to keep up. He tuts at the predictability of it all and reaches down, grabs them under the arms and lifts them. The child's spindly legs immediately wrap around Crowley's waist, head dropping to his shoulder. It's a long way for small legs. Aziraphale's smiling, ash-smudged face looks tired, but there's an unexpected warmth that Crowley has never seen before. He doesn't know if it's for him or the child. He makes a sound that means nothing and hopes that the angel knows better than to comment. They were slowing us down, he says simply. It's a long way for old legs too, the angel adds, Face suddenly soft in a way that Crowley doesn't know how to feel about. We both know half of these people's lungs should have given up by now. His look seems to say, I know I'm not responsible for it. Crowley scowls at him. 
How does he not realize how dangerous saying something like that out loud could be for him? Demons don't heal people. Don't even suggest such a thing. It's stupid human determination and nothing else. They go higher, but there are so many of them in unwieldy togas and in sandals with no grip that promise an accident until the angel has them all go barefoot. They are tired and scared, and the small cliffs are crumbling under their pace, chunks of rock and dirt falling away as they climb. It's too dark and too dangerous to do this. But no one falls. Crowley makes sure of it. They are spread out across the rice over the ocean when Vesuvius gives one last roaring boom, sends half its mass pouring down the crumbling sides, and the bright glow of it expands outwards like nothing Crowley has ever seen in four thousand years. They all turn to watch the impossibly vast swell of ash and rocks and burning gas slam into the city. It crashes against its walls like a wave, throwing pieces of the remaining buildings into the air and into neighboring structures. That boiling mass of fury that nothing human could stand against covers everything in Pompeii with terrifying speed. The amphitheater, the forum, the temple to Apollo, the Macallum, the hundreds of villas, the necropolis. It curls over the Porta Marina, scorches the countryside and keeps going, reaches the water with a deafening hiss pouring thousands of tons of rock and dust and melted glass into the ocean, the whole world briefly vanishing in a giant explosion of steam. And then it reaches the cliffside, burns its way up the sloping rocks and clumps of dirt they have travelled, and Crowley knows they haven't gone far enough. I am not afraid of you. The children are still asleep and Crowley's free hand has somehow found its way into Aziraphale's again. He's tired. He's so very tired. No one speaks. No one mentions what happened on the cliffs. Crowley is too exhausted to make them all forget. He mentally rehearses what he'll say to Hal if anyone asks why he drained himself almost dry tonight. Because if there was one thing that they didn't like, it was the idea that a demon might leave themselves defenseless. Got stuck in that bloody catastrophe too, didn't I? I never meant to stay so long. 
got drunk trying to get a bit of serious gambling going on in the city and didn't notice the sky was falling until it was too late. Thought I'd encourage a spot of looting, but things got dicey fast. Had to use a fair bit of power to get myself out of there. Not once, but twice. Would you believe it? Couldn't fly in that smoke, obviously. So getting out took me fucking forever. I even had to... Crowley. He's jerked out of his own thoughts by the sound of his name and the feel of the angel's hands sliding up his wrist, warm and strong around the fragile bones. He looks up, finds Aziraphale's tired expression next to him, and past it the lights of a city, proof that the world had not ceased to exist. There are cries beside him of people seeing somewhere that might finally be safety after their long walk through the night. They slip away while the last survivors of Pompeii greet family, friends and strangers with exhausted clasps of arm and tears of relief. Because this moment of joy and ceremony and grief isn't meant for them. They don't belong there. Crowley finds a room on the outskirts of the city. He has little enough energy left for convincing anyone to let them in, but one look at the two of them seems to win them some privacy and some pity, and the pin at Crowley's shoulder buys them an amphora of wine. Aziraphale sinks onto a stool, while Crowley lights the clay lamps, lending the room a soft orange glow that seems to pull out every deep line of ash and dirt in Crowley's skin. The angel watches quietly as Crowley pours them both wine. He seems all at once small and vulnerable in a way that Crowley can't bear. He's never seen an angel try so hard, fight to the point of raw, painful mortality and risk discoperation for a single human. Not because it was expected of him, not because he was ordered to, but because people matter to him. He leans in and gently folds Aziraphale's ash-stained hands around a cart. Angel, we're safe now. If anything, the reassurance deepens the lines in Aziraphale's face, the softness of his mouth looking suddenly wounded. Are we? Are we really? How do we really, truly know what safety even means? We've never feared for our lives like they have. We've never looked upon a wave and seen our oncoming death. We never imagined a final terrible end to it all. We've never had to watch everything we love burn. We've never had to consider what we would save. Who we would. The angel stares into his wine like he's never seen it before. Fingers wide around the cup and Crowley can see the tremble of the liquid that tells him how unsteady Aziraphale's hands are. 
We both know that this cooperation would have inconvenienced us at best. A few weeks filling in forms, requisitioning a new body to replace the old. Perhaps a reprimand for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. This body isn't important. Not really. It doesn't mean anything. It would simply have been covered by ash and buried with all the rest. Forgotten. Crowley doesn't think the angel even realizes he's crying. I sent people that way, Crowley. I sent them towards the gate, towards what I believe to be safety. I told them to leave, to save themselves and their families. There was no time to save more, though I tried. I did try, but do you know how many of those people I saw when we reached the dock? How many of these people were faces I saw again? Crowley watches the angel crack through the middle, watches him lose something important, and doesn't know how to help him. Doesn't know how to comfort him. He's never had to. Crowley wasn't made for this. Angel, don't do this to yourself, he says numbly. You couldn't have known. Crowley doesn't have the right words for this. Nothing he hasn't already said. I saw seven. Aziraphale's voice breaks, and Crowley knows he doesn't think it was enough. That he blames himself for the madness he had to send people through. I don't know what happened to the rest. I was too empty to look for them by then. I couldn't know. I may never know if they took a wrong turn or got lost in the smoke, if they were injured by falling debris, became trapped with no one to help them. I can't know where they fell and never got up again. There were so many. I'm supposed to watch over them. I'm supposed to... The words fall away and there's nothing but a long, shaking sob. Tears sliding through the suit on his cheeks. He looks utterly lost, as if the world had led him to this place and then abandoned him. Crowley can't help but be furious at the whole plan for leaving them both here tonight, and the pain of it lodges in his chest and thrashes there. It wants him to be anything but gentle. But he defies it. He takes the angel's wine from him and draws him up, hands wrapped around his upper arms, as if some of his warmth might transfer. Aziraphale has been reckless for him. He's been brave, and he's been burnt for it. Crowley can be something he shouldn't as well. You did, angel. He says simply, that was all you did today, with everything you had. You couldn't have given any more. He nearly died for them. If Crowley hadn't been there, he would have done. 
If Crawley had found him too late, he wouldn't have stayed to save anyone else. Aziraphale saved those people, not him. You couldn't have done anything better, Aziraphale. It's not your job to save them all. It never was. The angel is soft and unresisting when Crowley slowly leans into him, when he folds his arms around him and settles his chin in Aziraphale's ash-gray hair. For a moment, it's awkward. Crowley has never held anyone before, and this is far past anything that the angel has ever allowed. But then, all of a sudden, Aziraphale is heavy and alive, body sinking against his, hands stretching up Crowley's back, fingers gripping in the dirty fabric of his toga, face pressed against a thin wool over his chest. He holds against whatever he's feeling for the space of one breath, and then he cries in soft, heaving shakes. Crowley feels every one of them, feels the warm flare of his breath and the dampness where his cheek and half-open mouth are pressed over the joint of his wraps. He breathes the smoke in Aziraphale's hair and shushes him. He tells him that it's over, that there won't be any more punishment. He tells him that he's here, if that matters. He's never done this before. He's seen humans do it so many times, but he's never held a single other being against him and tried to soothe its pain. Eventually, the angel quiets, breathing softly in Crowley's hold, and Crowley knows he's the one who's going to have to break it. He fights it for a moment, the selfish part of him wondering why it always has to be him, why he always has to let go. But then he does. Crowley guides the angel to sit again, considering his tear-stained face for a moment, the sheer wrongness of it. But even like this, there's still something about him that leaves Crowley unable to look away. The way Aziraphale can be so beautiful and so devastated at the same time. A precious thing left behind, his genuine desire to be a force for good, unseen and unappreciated. Heaven is blind to everything Aziraphale is, and if Crowley hated them for nothing else, he'd hate them for that. You did exactly what you were told to do, Crowley says, measuring out the words carefully. Because there's a time for arguments, and a time to make the angel feel whole again. As best as you could. You couldn't have done any more. There's a basin of water, and Crowley sets it down on the floor, sparing a breath of power to make a white cloth, which he soaks in the water and then wrings out. The angel doesn't protest when he carefully lifts it to his face 
and dabs gently at the sooty smears on her streak. He's doing nothing but revealing the angel beneath. No accusations can be laid on his demonic nature with something so simple as cleaning an adversary after a battle has left him spent. You were told to watch the humans, which you did. Crowley keeps his words soft as he slowly pulls Grey from the space in front of the angel's ear. You've always done that. No matter where you are, you've always watched, always appreciated the things they've done, the things they've built, haven't you? Crowley waits for Xerophil to silently nod. Course you have. He lifts the other hand, carefully holds the angel's chin while he wipes under his eye, the round of his cheek and the long curve of his jaw. He finds soft pink skin underneath, and something in that leaves his chest aching. It's what you do. You know them as well as I do by now, though you have a tendency to always think the best of them, while I tend to see them at their worst. I think the truth of them is somewhere in the middle, somewhere between heaven and hell, striving for a bit of both, that's what they do. The wet cloth gently pulls over Xerophil's eyebrow, dragging smears of ash and smoke away. You were watching, and you knew that something was going to happen, but neither of us could have known how bad it would be. That's as close to a lie as he'll dare. They could have known. They could have understood. It might not have made that much of a difference. There was only so much they could do, only so much they were allowed. Aziraphale's inhale is shaky and tired. If we'd had warning, Crowley. We weren't supposed to be there at all. Crowley reminds him. But the humans are smart, Aziraphale. Most of them got out before the worst of it happened. Most of them are now here, or in Kume, or Capua, or Salerno. We saw them leaving when the ash started to fall. They'd both been distracted by lunch. Maybe if Crowley hadn't stayed so long. If he hadn't played so many games with the angel, insisting on one more after the first, and then the best out of three. If Crowley had left the angel alone, he might have been out of the city before Vesuvius erupted, and a hundred and seven people would likely be dead. You don't think it was a judgment? Aziraphale asks, something quiet and desperate in his expression. A plea for the answer to be no. No, Crowley says honestly. He wrings out the cloth and carefully gets to work on the other side of Aziraphale's face, finding a soft, tired angel beneath the horror of the last day. 
No, Angel. People don't normally survive one of those, do they? He doesn't let bitterness creep into the words, though he can feel it at the back of his throat. The familiar ache of it. Not ordinary people, not ones that she hasn't chosen. Aziraphale nods, accepting the truth of it with more certainty than Crowley feels. They would have told you, Crowley reassures him. Course they would. He works gently at the angel's hairline, the dark grey of his hair stained beyond his power to help with a cloth and a few gentle words. Crowley is used to seeing his own hands black with ash, with rot and filth and blood. But Aziraphale deserves better. Aziraphale deserves to hope for the best. They would have told me, too. Hell likes to gloat about stuff like that. Humans being a disappointment. They can't get enough of it. The mountain was dangerous all along. The smoke was a warning. They just didn't know it. They will next time. They learn. They learn so fast. You know they do. The whole world is more complicated than they could imagine. A giant rock puzzle with more moving parts and sloshing insides than Crowley had ever cared to delve into though he suspects that will change for both of them now. Humanity might stay away from the angry ones too, though he knows them too well to be certain of it. Aziraphale's face is as clean as he can make it, and it only strikes him now how unresisting the angel had been to his touch, to his careful holds and slow pulls of cloth. As if he hasn't the will to fight him. Or as if he's decided that Crowley can be trusted to slip in close and see to his needs while his mind is still bruised and vulnerable. Crowley's not sure which one of those scares him the most. Do you want me to see if they have food? He asks because he dislikes this quiet defeat. He's seen too much of it already. Some of that olive bread you like, or some cold pork with garum. Aziraphale takes a breath and then sighs it out. No, I think... I think I'm too tired to eat. Crowley knows a thing or two about tired. Why don't you lay on the bed for a while, then? Until your body can perform miracles again. Or until you can channel upstairs. Aziraphale seems to consider this for a moment. I don't really sleep, he confesses. But lying down for a while to compose myself... To rest for a while. That sounds like a good idea. There you go. Crowley lifts a hand and settles it under the angel's elbow as he rises.
They've touched more tonight than they have in a four thousand years they've known each other, and Crowley knows how dangerous that is. But he also knows that they might never touch again after tomorrow, and the thought pains him. Aziraphale stretches himself out on the blankets. I shall get the covers terribly dirty, he says, something of an apology in his voice, and Crowley can't help a laugh. Or the croak of something that might be. And how absurd that feels, while being so painfully Aziraphale, and the thought that he knows the angel so well is a strange comfort. We can fix them in the morning, he reassures him. They couldn't fix anything else about tonight, not without being noticed, but the blankets Crowley could fix. You should lie down too, Aziraphale offers. You look tired as well, and I know you sleep sometimes. You've mentioned it. I doubt I'm going to move much, and the bed is large. Crowley can't dispute that. It's a very large bed, and he's more exhausted than he has been for centuries. His whole body feels too heavy on his bones. He thinks he should protest, though. Out of everything he's done to keep the angel safe, this might be the most reckless thing of all. Zerophil, I don't think... I don't want to be here alone, Zerophil admits, before Crowley can make excuses. There's too much to think about. Please, lie down and distract me for a while. Crowley can't find it in him to deny that soft request. He sinks into the space next to the angel, letting his sandals fall and stretching out beside him. Perhaps a little too close, but he's a demon, isn't he? What else is he supposed to do but tempt if it's only himself? The quiet feels so heavy that Crowley has to break it. Sorry, he says awkwardly, if only here where hell can't hear him. About the people you try to save. Aziraphale looks for a moment as if he might cry again, and Crowley feels stupid for upsetting him. But then the angel's expression slips into a smile, and he nods. Crowley, it means a lot to me that you thought of me, that you came back for me. Hush, Crowley says, something inside him crawling unpleasantly at the quiet way the angel says it. The way he makes Crowley feel like something he isn't. Something he hasn't been for a long, long time. Do you know how much trouble I'd be in if you tell anyone else? You could have left the city at any time. You had enough power for that. 
You could have abandoned me and all the people we saved. Don't, Crowley says firmly, because it's dangerous. It's so dangerous to say things like that. They just followed us out, is all. Found the gap I made and slipped through it. I was protecting myself. Aziraphale blinks at him in the darkness, as if he's going to call him on the lie. Say it, Angel, Crowley insists. But Aziraphale understands. He understands in a way that no one else ever has done. No one else has ever tried. You were protecting yourself, he says slowly. Very properly demonic of you. You were angry that we followed you, that we took advantage of the opening you made and slipped through. If anyone asks. The words are exactly what Crowley needs to hear. But Aziraphale's expression is still soft and open, eyes drifting over Crowley's face with something he's too afraid to name, before rising again to meet his own. He understands, and something about that feels like a fist inside Crowley's chest, a weight he's not sure he could pull out, even if he wanted to. I was protecting the things that matter to me. Crowley realizes immediately that he'd said something he shouldn't, given away too much. Because that's not the same thing at all. He pretends the words aren't important, drags up more to cover them. We'll go our separate ways tomorrow. Crowley! We won't see each other for a bit, he hurries to add. Crowley! If anyone finds out, if they ask what you were doing, say that you were helping survivors, and I was encouraging them to loot. Aziraphale's fingers reach across the space between them, catch and then twist in the dusty folds of Crowley's toga. The faintest slide of movement in the bed, the gentle stretch forward, and Aziraphale is kissing him. All Crowley's words are gone instantly. There's nothing but the slow, sinking pressure of the angel's mouth against his own. Crowley closes his eyes. He doesn't move. He doesn't breathe. Heart lurching in his chest. The moment drags on and on. The pressure increases until he's helpless not to push back into the kiss. Make it real. The faintest sound breaking from him. Eventually, after what could have been a brief moment or an eternity, Aziraphale very slowly eases away. He takes the softness of his mouth with him. He lays on the other side of the bed, watching Crowley without speaking. They are not supposed to do this. 
they are not allowed. It's a sin or a blasphemy. Crowley certainly can't remember the difference. Xerophile. The name comes out hoarse, a collection of sounds he somehow makes. He can still feel the angel's mouth, can still taste the sweetness of him, can smell ash over the far more familiar scent of the only angel he's ever really known. And now the only one he's ever kissed. Crowley, Aziraphale says simply, I couldn't have, not without you. Thank you for coming back to me. Thank you for helping me save those people. No, don't thank me, Crowley says thickly. That's not allowed. Though that doesn't mean that Crowley won't come for him. That he won't always come for Xerophile if he can. The thought of leaving the angel, of making him go through anything like this alone. Crowley would rather discorporate. Aziraphale sighs quietly, eyes closing. I know. I'm sorry. I don't want you to get into trouble. I would never want that. I just wanted to tell you. Tell me what, Angel? Aziraphale's eyes remain closed, his lips slightly parted. Crowley can feel the slow warmth of every breath. The hand curled in his toga is relaxed and still. He realizes after a moment that the angel is asleep. It's such a surprising moment of vulnerability. He'll have most of his ability to channel ethereal power again by morning. But now, now he's defenseless and lovely and the only thing a miserable demon has cared about for millennia, and Crowley doesn't know what to do with that. He lifts a hand, watches his long, sooty fingers with their dark nails drift in towards the relaxed softness of the angel's face. He imagines what it would feel like to tray them over the curve of his cheek, the line of his nose or the bone of his jaw. If he'd still feel like a Xerophil underneath, that sleeping, tightly wound shimmer of angel. If he'd feel Crowley's essence in turn. Would he shy away from it instinctively, or would he shift sleepily towards it, recognizing something familiar, Something he trusted. Crowley wonders if a demon who would touch a sleeping angel deserves any trust at all. He lets his hand fall to the blankets. He watches the angel breathe for a while. Feeling the soft press of his knuckles every time he takes a breath of his own. Until his exhausted body tucks him and to sleep.
Crowley wakes to the afternoon sun creeping in through the gaps in the blinds over the window. The bed next to him is empty. He doesn't take it personally. He's surprised the angel stayed so long. It's dangerous to be seen together here, away from the fury of the mountain. One night of comfort can't change what they are. One moment of... of connection that the angel probably regrets doesn't mean that Crowley is forgiven. There can never be anything... He stops, having pushed himself to sit among the soot-stained, crumpled remains of the bed they shared. The cloth he'd used to carefully wash the angel's face has been left on the low table beside the bed, cleaned and then folded into the perfect white shape of a bird. Crowley leans over, reaches out and lifts it carefully. The soft folds bend under his fingers, but hold their shape. The rounded belly and wings make it look like a dove. It crackles with Aziraphale's ethereal signature, leaving the faintest static on Crowley's ash-stained fingers, though the cloth stays pristine. The angel has left him far more than folded cloth. Crowley stares down at it for a long moment. Eventually, he rises from the bed, his clothes returning to their original state, ash leaving his skin and his hair. He tucks the dwarf into the inside of his toga, the soft fabric warm against his skin. He leaves the city, unnoticed and unremarked, as a proper demon should. The end.